Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down, her, down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Every time I read this story, I think this is one of the most remarkable stories in all of Scripture. It is packed with such emotion, wrapped around these twists and turns of events, some triumphant, some terrible. If you're not familiar with the story, we're going to go over it. You get a hint of what is going on in verse 4 when Joseph says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. The story starts way back in chapter 37. Jacob is Joseph's father. You remember the lineage, perhaps, that God calls Abraham, and then the lineage passes on to Isaac, his son, on to Jacob, his son. And now, finally, we're talking about Joseph. Joseph has this long and colorful story when you're looking at it as an observer I think it might have been very different emotionally if you were Joseph 
and living through it. Joseph is son number 11 out of 12 of Jacob's sons. Chapter 37 tells us that Jacob, the father, loved Joseph more than his other sons. And they, not surprisingly, hated him for it. It was not a good relationship. And in addition to that, Jacob has a new bride, which is the mother of Joseph. And so they are really half-brothers, not sharing the same mother. And then on top of it all, Joseph, as a teenager, begins to have dreams that he's going to become powerful. And so powerful, in fact, that all these older brothers and his father are all going to have to come to him and bow down to him because he will be in charge of everything. And in his youthful exuberance, he tells them all about the dreams. And as you might imagine, they do not appreciate his great gift of insight and wisdom to see into the future. They don't like the picture he's painting one bit. They cannot believe that it's ever going to be true. But they listen. And then in chapter 37 it says, So his brothers hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. So one day, they're out taking care of their flocks and herds, and it dawns on some of these brothers, you know what? Dad's not here. We could take care of this dreamer, this guy who thinks he's going to be in charge of all of us, right now. And who would be the wiser? We can kill him and then go to dad and tell dad he's been eaten by a ravenous animal. And we'd be through with him. And so they conspire to do it. They've got it all planned out. And then Reuben, the oldest brother, hears these others concocting this scheme to kill Joseph. And he says, we can't do that. So they just throw him in an empty water well, throw him into a pit just to be mean, to get rid of him temporarily. And then about that time, a caravan of travelers begin to approach, and they have another idea. We can just sell him to these people, and they will take him away as a slave forever. Plus, we'll make a little money. And so they decide to do that. They sell him to this caravan, and the caravan takes him away to Egypt. While he is in Egypt, some other bad things happen to him, and at one point he gets accused of impropriety with one of the women of Egypt, falsely accused, and yet nonetheless he ends up in prison. While in prison, some other people are having dreams, and Joseph begins to interpret and one thing leads to another, and the next thing you know, he's talking to the Pharaoh and interpreting dreams for the Pharaoh to understand what is going on. And Joseph begins to say, God is trying to help you here, and this is what is going to happen. And he interprets the dreams, and the Pharaoh believes him, and Joseph ends up being chosen by Pharaoh as the wisest 
and most discerning of all the people in Egypt. And the Pharaoh is so impressed that he says, you know what? I'm going to put you in charge of everything. You're the smartest guy here. God is with you. You get it. You'll be more powerful than anyone and everyone except for me since I'm the Pharaoh. But he gives him all the other responsibilities. And just as Joseph had predicted, a famine comes. And it's terrible. But because Joseph planned ahead, he had stored up plenty of foodstuffs for the Egyptians. His brothers, living up north, had not been as wise or discerning. And so before long, they realize they're going to run out of food. And Jacob, the father, says to the boys, go to Egypt. I hear they have enough for everyone and see if we can purchase some food so that we will not starve to death and lose everything, including our lives. And so the brothers head down to Egypt. And when they get there and inquire and they're finally placed in front of the person who can help them buy food and decide whether or not they get to buy food, guess who that person is? Joseph. They're bowing down to Joseph to ask if he might save their lives, if he might provide food for them. And everything that Joseph has told them has come true. And they are dismayed, the text says. They cannot believe what has happened. Joseph has all the power. And they are at his mercy. Now he is in a position to punish them for their dastardly deeds all those years ago. Now he can get his long-awaited revenge and as you read the story, it's like a good movie that they kind of twist your emotions so you're kind of rooting for the violence to happen. It's Joseph's turn to get back at these terrible brothers who conspired to kill him and threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. And you can just about taste it. It's all going to come together. Except for that's not what happens. The story says Joseph doesn't seek revenge at all. Joseph doesn't use his power to punish them at all. Instead, Joseph is forgiving, exceedingly kind and generous. In verse 11, Genesis describes what Joseph says to them. Rather than revenge, he says, I will provide for you. Since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. 
And then in verse 13, you must tell my father how greatly I'm honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. He just made a commitment to take care of all of them. And then in verse 14, it says Joseph fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept while Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Can you imagine doing such a thing? Finally meeting someone who wants you dead? Who wants to do mean and terrible things to you? Is willing to sell you to someone else to get rid of you? And finally you meet them years later face to face? Can you imagine that you would have it in your heart to forgive them? But not only to forgive them... But to say, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of your problems. I'll feed you. I'll clothe you. I'll give you a place to live. I've got this covered. Don't worry about it. I'm so glad you're here. Go and tell dad. It's all going to be great. It's hard for me to imagine that I would be so magnanimous. It's hard for me to imagine that Joseph could show such uncommon kindness and generosity in the face of that kind of treatment. And yet that's what Genesis tells us happened. And it explains what happens and why it happened back up in verse 5. Joseph is speaking, says to his brothers, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Or in verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors or in verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph has this extraordinary perspective that God has been at work all along in the twist and turns of his life. He somehow is able to believe that the hand of God has been upon him, that the protection and providence of God has been with him through it all. And God has been working to bring good out of these terrible circumstances the entire time. Somehow Joseph is able to grasp, perhaps he is an instrument in God's hand, Perhaps God is working through all of these events and circumstances to bring peace and goodness out of an otherwise terrible situation. And notice how humble Joseph is the whole time. 
even though he's the most powerful person in all of Egypt, except the Pharaoh. He doesn't say, oh, this is all about me, or oh, it's all about you terrible brothers. Joseph points to God and says it's all about what God wants and what God is doing. I'm just trying to live my life in God's will. I just want to line my life up with what God wants. So he can say almost unbelievably to me, don't worry about it. God sent me ahead of you. God sent me before you to preserve life. It was not you who sent me here, but God. The fact that Joseph can receive that and understand that makes such a dramatic difference in his life. And oh, what a declaration of faith that in the midst of terrible circumstances, Joseph can say, God has got this. God has sent me here. God is taking care of all of us. It's remarkable to me that Joseph can take what could have been such a situation of conflict and violence and carnage and bloodshed and revenge and make it an experience of grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. Somehow Joseph is able to see not only through these dreams he's able to interpret, but somehow in the midst of all, see that God is at work in his life and in the world for good. Do you spend any time looking for how God might be wanting to use you for good? How God might want to use you to bring good out of bad circumstances? Do you spend any time praying or wondering or watching to see what God might be doing in your life? How you might respond to that? Do you have a sense that God ever leads you? Joseph had that sense. Joseph had a sense that God was right there with him. Would it make a difference in your life if you believed that God was right beside you despite whatever the circumstances around you happened to be? Young Francis of Assisi had a sense of that in his life. He grew up in a very wealthy family and as a young adult began to sense some restlessness and identified it as a call from God, particularly a call from God to rebuild Christ's church, both figuratively and literally. And he responded to the call. He jumped into action. There was an old crumbling church where he lived, and he began to rebuild it. And he gave up the wealth of his family and said that he was called by God and he was going to follow Christ. He was known to say, preach the gospel always 
and use words when necessary. He's written a prayer, sometimes called a prayer of peace. It begins, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. As I was reading these scripture lessons for these next several weeks, months ago, this prayer kept coming into my mind. I've decided for us to use it for the next several weeks in conjunction with these lectionary readings. It talks about being an instrument in God's hands. So our sermon series is going to be, Lord, make me an instrument of yours. We're going to be working on watching for how God might be working in our lives. Trying to identify where God might be calling us to move out, to stand up, to speak up, to share love and kindness and the power of our faith to move into action even as Francis did when he felt God prompting him to move. We're going to be looking to see if we can give ourselves to God more fully so that we might be an instrument in God's hand. I've made up some prayer cards for you it's got the whole prayer on the back side of it you'll have an opportunity to get one on the way out there will be people in the corridors offering these if you would like to have one this prayer you could say has stood the test of time it was written in the 13th century it has been so valuable and important to so many people that when the United Methodists redid their hymnal, they included the St. Francis prayer in our hymnal. It begins, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Or in more modern language, your peace. Joseph understood that experience. Joseph believed that God was using him as an instrument of peace. In an otherwise disastrous situation. And he was willing to respond as best he could. And yet he must have had to let go of some visceral reaction for revenge or some anger that he could have so easily harbored against these brothers. He had to surrender his ego, I think, over and over to allow God to use him as an instrument of peace. But clearly, Joseph believed that God was wanting to make peace in that situation. I'm inviting you to join me in praying this prayer of peace for the next 40 days. To take this or your own copy or you can get one online and read the prayer every day. To make it a part of your daily routine to pray this prayer with me and any others that choose to do so. Reading it is a good start, but you might also memorize it. You might also work to apply it every day. Maybe writing in a journal what God's prompting you to do. You can invite another 
into the life of prayer and give them the prayer card and tell them what we're doing. If someone's been asking you about prayer or dealing with conflict, it would be a great way to help them. I'll leave you with this. The core question for each of us is do we want to be an instrument in God's hand? Do we want to be an instrument in God's hands? If you do, join me. Let's make this a part of our daily life with God. Amen. And thanks be to God.